and go. And go. You've got 30 seconds to sum everything up in the past week. Go. Uh, can I do with a song? Sing a song, yeah. Okay. Even better. The world fell into a burning ring of fire. It went down, 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 and the flames went higher. Done. That's it? That's it. And see you next week, everyone. The world fell into a flaming a ring, burning of, ring of a fire. A burning ring of fire. Yeah. Where's that? I missed that. That's the, that's the famous Johnny Cash song. I know, but why? Where? <laughs> I didn't see the world <clears throat> falling into a burning you ring of fire. didn't see the news I last missed, week. I missed that, yeah. The AI, Gemini. Google's Gemini AI. That was it. That was it. That was part of it. Um, the British uh, test fired a nuclear missile that for the second time popped out of the silo and then just flopped in the ocean. Yeah. Um, the Houthis sank a British oil tanker. Yeah. They also hit the American tanker. Um, yeah. Stoltenberg of the NATO... Um, Promises F-16s to Ukraine. Uh, oh, and a campaign has started. They're going to introduce conscription here in the West um, to fight Russia. Yeah, right. Well, that's what they said. Yeah, right. um, the 13th round of anti-Russia sanctions, uh, bigger than ever, 500 targets because Navalny. They're huge this time. They're huge. Um, Stoltenberg, <coughs> adult, has said that China is illegally approaching NATO. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck that means. Um, NATO is not I'm coming. Not this is a direct quote. NATO is not coming to Asia, but China is coming to us. Mm. Um, we see them in Africa. NATO right. is in Africa. Oh, whatever. Okay. Atlantic. Yeah, technically the South Atlantic is all of Africa. We see them at the poles. We see them trying to seize critical infrastructure. Huh. Very naughty. Seize critical infrastructure? Yeah. Season. What does that mean? Like, I think it means buy it. it used to mean buy it, do but, a deal, yeah, but yeah. but not seize. Like, so when I go to the store and, and law abidingly pay for some groceries, I'm seizing them. Yeah, I just went to the store and I seized uh, <coughs> seized some meat. Huh? If I'm Chinese, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That's just for starters. Where do you want to start? Well, you missed out Macron running away from the farmers. Uh, yeah, that was funny. Um, did he, though? That, that was fact-checked. Technically, <clears throat> he didn't run. But there's some awesome footage, well, though. Macron doesn't run, though. He's a bit light, light in the loafers. So he, it's more like a, more like a, a skip or a, a gamble. Maybe you call it a gamble. He gambled away from the farmers, which is appropriate because that's what lambs do. And he's a bit of a lamb himself. <laughs> the wee lamb. Probably Lammy Macron. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so where do you want to start? Start there. We, you missed something else. You missed American politics. Trump. CPAC. CPAC. Yeah. Do you see... Uh, so CPAC is a conservative... Um, Political Action Committee. Yeah, but it's, it's a conservative organisation. It's not the conservative party, let's say. But yeah. arguably it represents the feelings of actual conservatives in America, politi- political conservatives in America. And so yesterday it was um, on in, what was it, New York or somewhere? Somewhere up north anyway. And um, it um, it was on the same day as the primary in North Carolina, prim- or South Carolina? South Carolina. South Carolina primary. Let me just make sure I get this right. Yes, South Carolina primary. And um, so Trump had to pick one to go with one or the other. He was pretty sure that South Carolina, which is Nikki Haley's home state, 
um, that he was going to win, and he did win, bigly, uh, in North Carolina, so he decided, well, it was the right choice to go to CPAC, because that's, you know, big stage and a lot of media coverage and that kind of stuff. And this is him, uh, this is Trump, this is Trump arriving in true Trumpian style. Uh, Trumpian should be a word. Is Trumpy a, a, a word a word it already? Now, it yeah. should be a word already. Yeah. This is Trumpian theatrics. God bless. Kissy, kissy, look. Give him some kissy, 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 kissy that flag. Oh, that's an old crowd favorite. That's a that's a classic. What? Kissing the flag. I know, but the way he's doing it. Oh no, no, yeah, just very much Trumpian style. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very, very crowd, kind of crowd favorite. And then at the at the pack, actually, another thing is uh, this. This one's even uh, even more. Well, it's not. I don't call it Trumpian. It's. Ah, he's meet, here he meets apparently Javier Milei, the new recently elected president of Argentina, arrived. And this is the first time Javier Milei is meeting Trump, and he's super excited. And Trump is a bit... Uh, well, you'll see, Trump... <laughs> Trump's a bit worried of the guy, and I'd be worried of him. He looks like, uh, like I said, he looks like Wolverine's ugly brother, and he's very excitable. And if somebody like that came at me, I'd have the same response. Go ahead and have a... Have a <laughs> gonna eat him. <laughs> I'm very happy. Make Argentina great again. Make Argentina. Like, get the hell back from me. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Keep get, out of, get out of my personal space, you crazy, crazy person. And stop spitting on me. <coughs> <laughs> How's his hair done? I can see. Who? Malay. You don't notice it, no? <laughs> and by have his hair done, I mean he just got out of bed like that. Anyway. Make Argentina great again, Trump. Make Argentina great again. Viva la libertad, carajo! So that's a... Uh, I mean, you never get that out of you never get that out of democratic DNC. You know what I mean? Uh, that kind of theatrics and you know, not put on like genuine. Uh, just uh, I don't know what you call it. Genuine, um, spontaneously weird. Spontaneous, spontane- like Trump is good at weird that, but he's had thirty years in media before. Yep. going into politics. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's good. His, his his timing and delivery are awesome, but yeah, and Malay just, is a yeah, a Jay's a, or Malay's a wild card. Yeah, um, here's um, and this is this is basically just 19 seconds. This sums up what Trump said at CPAC last night. Four years ago, I told you that if crooked Joe Biden got to the White House, our borders would be abolished. 
Our middle class would be decimated and our communities would be plagued by bloodshed, chaos, and violent crime. We were right about everything. <laughs> he just ragged on Biden for uh, whatever it was an hour, I think, or 40 minutes or something. And then there's not a little snippet, not a little, little snippet here, uh, 24 seconds. Uh, I thought, I'll tell you what I thought it reminded me of, um, what it had echoes of, but probably something quite obscure that most people don't know. Anyway. Your victory will be our ultimate vindication. Your liberty will be our ultimate reward. And the unprecedented success of the United States of America will be my ultimate and absolute revenge. That's what I want. Success will be our revenge. Our revenge will be our success. Which is, you know, it's a fairly... um, what did it remind you of? It reminded me of... Um, I'm not sure. I don't think Bobby Sands actually said it. Maybe he did. Maybe it was someone before him. But he said our, our, our revenge yeah. would be the laughter of our children. <clears throat> um, so it's... Um, yep. That's from, uh, from Ireland against the British. The, so, Trump, um, the Trumpian Republican Army. Yeah. So... But I thought it was quite... I didn't expect something that was kind of... Uh, Poignant, I suppose, in a certain sense, or um, well, I wouldn't call it deep necessarily, but it's certainly quite poignant. I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't have expected something from like that from Trump, you know, that he's but and, and quite, that quite, magna- might, quite uh, magnanimous, magnanimous, or, or yeah, right. It's almost self-effacing the, in a yeah. certain sense, you know. You think Trump is kind of blowhard, narcissist, blah 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 blah. Uh, maybe it was written for him. I don't know. Probably. But anyway, the fact that he said it is it, something. Something as well because certainly when he gets stuff written for him, he decides whether or, not, whether or not he likes it. So he obviously liked that part, which says something. And it just it's turning the other cheek in a certain sense and saying, you know, I've had a lot of stuff. These people have done a lot of bad things, a lot of wrong things to me, but uh, we're not going to, you know, seek revenge and kind of eye for an eye kind of way. We're, we'd rather it be just simply our success. We'll just show them um, that they're wrong. Uh, in, a, in a legitimate and <clears throat> fair way, you know, by, i.e. By, at the ballot box, which is these days is very legitimate and fair, the ballot box, isn't it? We can have faith in the ballot box, right? Yeah. Why is Nikki Haley continuing on? She got, <clears throat> she got her ass whooped yesterday again, uh, and she's obviously dead in the water, she's going nowhere, but she said that she's not going to uh, drop out. She's going to continue on. And I think, and just put on my conspiracy hat here, my tinfoil hat, and get into conspiracy corner, I think it's because can theory of the day. Um, hot take. Hot, my hot take. My hot take incoming is that Trump is going to be assassinated hmm. for the election, and Nikki will be a shoo Be perfect because they don't want to rely on a, on a VP, you know. Um, so it would have to be before inauguration and before it would have to be before the actual election. So I think Trump is going to be assassinated between now and, say, October this year. And Nikki Haley will be, because she's the only other one who ran for it, she'll be immediately announced as a Republican candidate and she'll be shooed in to the thing. And she'll win over Biden and she'll do a quick pick for a VP or whatever and they'll get the, get Nikki Haley the... the um, I don't think they'll make it to the election if Trump's assassinated. Oh, they will. It's They'll have one anyway. It's not going to be the whole country going down the flames. Like. <clears throat> They'll have one anyway. Yeah, they'll have one, but less, less than half people will vote. 
Did you notice, actually, do you have that, that video? Put up, put, put up that Trump video at, the, at CPAC again, Scotty, just, but don't play it. Um, I think you can actually see it. Um, whichever one of the ones. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's too close. Can you go to the other one? Uh, the first one when he comes in? Um, no, not that one. <laughs> so the very first one where he kisses the flag, basically. Yeah. You see what it says there on both sides? Uh, the, the, the slogan. Can you make it bigger? There's the word die. Now, that doesn't mean diversity, inclusion, and equity. That means... What it actually says is... Where globalism goes to die. die. I mean... Um, and then and of course, you know that most people in the liberal capitals have been saying for the last 10 years that whenever Trump or anyone else says globalism, it's a dog whistle for the Jews. Really? But that's not the case. That's not what Trump understands. No. But just to so put up this one, just keep that where globalism goes to die. And let's have a listen to this nice lady who lost out to a lettuce, actually, uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> Liz Truss. We have 10 years <laughs> to harsh. save the West. Let's get to it now. Thank you. Thank you. Pretty short. We have four years. They're making fun of me here because she just stands there while everybody keeps clapping. You know, she's meant to kind of walk off, but she stands and waits until the very last person stops clapping and then she turns around and walks away. And she's just kind of like looking at them. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone claps one more? All right. Okay, I can leave now. Um, you meant to kind of walk off to applause rather than sit, stay until it stops and then turn around. Anyway. But she, um, she said we have four, four years, her, her speech was we have four years to save the West. So she's been a conservative in America talking at CPAC, yeah. talking about American conservatism. And she says we have four, four days to save the West, four years to save the West. Um, the, only, the only way the West is going to be saved is if the deep state and the Washington establishment and the people who have run America for the past 70, 80, 90 years are allowed to continue, which is, um, i.e. if Biden gets a new presidency, but obviously she's there to support Trump. So she's completely clueless is what I'm saying, because she's standing behind a sign that says where globalism goes to die. Now, if those, and, and that's Trump supports that, but globalism is the thing, which is basically the same, it means imperialism. Hmm. Uh, and that's what people in CPAC and actual conservatives in America uh, mean when they say where, glo- where, where globalism goes to die. They mean where American, the idea of America being the policeman of the world ends. America needs, and that's what MAGA means, make America great again, is put America first. Stop spending all this, this, money, this money around the world, stop policing the world, stop bankrupting, bankrupting America by trying to police the world, and tend towards more of a protectionist policy for America. And that's why they hate Trump, and that's why that sign is at the CPAC. Mm. But she thinks, she's so clueless, this woman who lost her lettuce, she's so clueless that she doesn't understand that, right? So she thinks she can stand up there and say, we got to save, sure. save the West. When she talks about the West, she's there representing the UK, obviously she was a former prime minister. So she's talking about the, 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 the Western-led world order. That's what she's steeped in. But I think she's just there basically mm, to... Uh, mm, 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 mm. Did you see her speak with Steve Bannon? No. Mm. Have a listen to this. Um... She basically tells an American audience that she was oosted in a coup by the deep state, the permanent state in Britain. So yeah. the same thing. Because Bannon talks all the time that the deep state is both British and American. That's one entity. Because what 
I found out when I got into number 10 is I thought that if I got to the top of the tree, I would be able to implement those conservative policies. So you think once you're prime minister, on, yeah, I as thought, a little girl thinking, if I get prime minister, I'll be like Churchill, change the country. Exactly, That's not how it works. Exactly. And what I discovered was that I was not holding the levers. The levers were held by the Bank of England, by the Office of Budget Responsibility. They weren't held by the Prime Minister or the Chancellor. And I think that's a massive problem. Hang on. You're saying the central bank, the Bank of England, is one of the things that controls... Are you a conspiracy theory person? Well, you what, almost sound like what, Worm. You're, you're what, MAGA. What, what I'm saying, Steve, is that if the Bank of England governor can't be sacked and the Prime Minister can be sacked, then the Bank of England governor is going to have more power than the Prime Minister. And that is a problem in a democracy. Because the fact is, the left have succeeded in infiltrating our campuses. In and she proceeds to blame the left. But yeah, she was never... So maybe she, That is unprecedented for a British. They almost never break, break ranks. The, the top echelon MPs or what have yeah. you. Never break ranks. In America, you'll get CPAC break ranks with the official GOP. It's not unusual for them to talk about deep state, you know, uh, mm-hmm. traitors in our myths and stuff, mm-hmm. globalism versus nationalism. But in Britain, that is, that, I couldn't, my jaw dropped. Mm. Never articulate that. Yeah. Well, I mean, she was such a... It's omerta. It's she, like a mafia. You don't say that. She was such a... Uh, <laughs> she had such a short-lived... Uh, yeah, now we know experience as prime minister. We, we, we got very little. I didn't pay much attention. She was forty-four days in the job, basically, and then she was out. She came out of nowhere I, and then left. And I, okay, I was watching it um, at the time, but I mean, in terms of her history and before that, and where she comes from, I didn't. You know, I didn't get an impression that she was anything other than. You know, I mean, I just didn't look at her history. If she, but she must have some kind of. A she history wanted an economic revival at the very least. It was very similar to. to um, yeah, well, they all call that, right? Well, yeah, they say that, but it was scary enough. Durand's, uh, Alex Durand, um, Macorus of the Durands, he noticed it a couple of weeks before it happened. He said, something weird is going on here. The Bank of England's putting out statements that are really suggestive of a coup in the in the works, and bang, it then happened. Mm. And what they, they said that... Um, they blamed her. They said that her uh, plans to overhaul the economy in the UK... Sorry, she's got to go kind of thing. So, boom, that happened. And then now she's confirming it by articulating it, that that's what happened. Well, she's obviously a bit of a newbie with what she said there. Um, She said when she got, she she had the naive naive idea that uh, when she got to be Prime Minister that she would then have, uh, she would be the decider-in-chief, right? She would make all the decisions and and there would be nobody above her. But then she found out, she found out, well, yeah, it's amazing how these people don't understand this. You know, a cursory... A cursory study of politics in the West over the past even just 20 years by anybody. You think a politician would be interested, right, in, in looking at political history, right? Uh, but apparently they don't. Isn't it courageous, though, that given that they now know it? Mm. They come out and say it, yeah. They come out and say it and stay in the fight. But that's because... They, they she wrote a book, We've 10 Years to Save the West. Mm. I mean, she's not, she's not like folding and like going, okay, I'll just play ball, I'll be a backbencher MP, whatever, just keep the cash coming. She's, she's digging in. Yeah, I don't know if she's courageous, though, or she may just be still well, quite... Well, it's quite, all relative. Well, I, mean, I think what I mean is she might still be quite naive in the sense that uh, if she really knew the extent of the, uh, 
of the ways and means of the of the deep staters. She, she would well, she's speaking to the crowd that believes that you know democracy. I get to vote in, and then if they if I don't like them, I, they they leave. Mm-hmm. She's saying that's yeah, that is how it should be. It should be yeah, that's not how it is. So I'm going to stay in the fight until that's what is. So yeah, the, right. She's putting up a fight. At least is that you yeah, know? boss. I mean, to, to do that, yeah, I think yeah, for anybody to do that, you have to be quite naive. You know, I'd even say Trump's naive. You know, yeah. Well, you have to be naive in the sense that really the only way to do it is to you know have a military coup. You have to do it. You have to do it. You well, have to do it arms. or not. You can't actually vote them out. Everybody who does it isn't naive, but I think a lot of people who do do it are naive in that sense, where they don't understand the extent of it. You know, um, I think Trump understands a lot more after his four years and what he's seen since then as well. Um, but the the ultimate same thing though. The, if you think he's ulti- going to be assassinated, like then that's what I mean. clearly you have to get in military action first before they fire the shots first. Well, you cannot vote your way in, exactly. Or you cannot vote your way in and actually enact. Anything you want. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen that. That's obvious. He should know that. Well, the ultimate, the ultimate evidence of your naivety, you could say, if, it's, if it is naivety, is that you're assassinated. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. You can be fully aware of the risks and the dangers. That has happened to people throughout history where they're fully aware of the risks and the dangers and they could be assassinated. And that may be the case with Trump. So the fact that he might be assassinated um, would not necessarily be proof of his naivety. Um, I just wonder about her, though. Yeah. You remember also, there, there's... Well, I'm not it, saying she's going to be assassinated. Remember, Trump was never... You said it yourself years ago. Um, it was never that Trump would go from full American empire to just our borders. Overnight, yeah. It would be it a long time to leverage what we have and can realistically do. I mean, even there he failed because he thought realistically he could... Uh, whack Maduro in Venezuela and get and get the oil or whatever. Make sure the control oil control flows <coughs> were, were going as they wanted. They mm-hmm. fucked that up big time. But still, it it's, at least it's more realistic. It's it's quote America's backyard mm-hmm. rather than you know what if we just poke Russia right under its belly there in Ukraine. You know that's that's that would be too far. So what you have in the West is the old cleavage between the West versus the rest. That's the right-wing view, mm-hmm. and the West and the rest. That's the left-wing view. Mm-hmm. In, the, in, in the left-wing view, West and the rest is we can take the whole world and join hands and live in harmony with America as number one, baby. Or the right-wing one is no. They're just not – that's non-Western civilization, really, that there are certain bounds we can't cross. You know what I mean? It's yeah. more, more realistic, but it still is. It's like imperialism light. Imperialism, Who, with Trump? realistic. Well, it's it's, it's a system that like, like it's, it's, it's 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 like Russian, you know, uh, uh, spheres of influence. No, well, I don't think. No, I think it's worse than that in the sense that Trump inherited an empire, basically. So he's not about to like just turn around and destroy all the infrastructure of empire, but he's going to he's going to hone it to a more uh, affordable, an, a, affordable, and America serving. Machine, you know what I mean. Right. So that does involve pulling your horns in a lot of in a lot of different ways, stopping the kind of um, policing the world, jumping in at everybody, trying to you know, uh, throwing money at at countries left, right, and centre uh, to try and you know maintain American influence around the world. He'd be against that. He just he would he would basically look at the whole situation, look at the whole American empire, and decide what works and what doesn't, what makes us money and what doesn't. The stuff that doesn't is gone. Uh, so it's not ideological in his his. From his perspective, it's his perspective is uh, financial, but it's the ideologues in the deep state who want control of as much 
as possible of everybody and everything. That, that the problem, not obviously, does cost a lot of money, uh, cost the American taxpayer. Um, yeah. Speaking, you heard you heard Bannon mention Churchill. Yeah. What was the first? What was the the bust that um, Trump added to the Oval Room in the White House? Mm. Churchill. Mm. And Churchill wasn't a nationalist. I mean. That no, but he he also inherited an empire in a sense. You know what I mean. The problem uh-huh. is when you could be when you when you come into uh, that position, you know, the prime minister or president, whatever, and you have a massive infrastructure that that you're responsible for. It's you know it's difficult. I mean, turning that ship of state, if you know what I mean, or the ship of empire around and and, and reducing it and turning it into. A, I mean, America could very well be uh, just another. A, a country like other countries in the world with their sphere of one influence. One pole like, in a multipolar world. Yeah. Trump oh, hasn't said it yet, but he's basically embracing multipolarity. Yeah. Reality. Um, yeah, you mentioned Ukraine there. Um, just Can I just say, I've gone and goofed. I didn't bring my right notes down here. Good. I'm too sure. I'm going to have to fly by the seat of my pants, but... Jesus, we're in trouble now. What? Go on, Ukraine, you start... I don't have my Ukraine section. <coughs> Jesus. You know, this is Valery. What's his surname? The US ambas- or Russian ambassador to the UN. I um, can't remember his surname. Uh, this is just the other day. The ball guy looks like something yeah, out him, of the yeah. 1960s. Yeah. It's my movie. This is him. Or Dr. Evil. А есть чиновники, чиновники, выдающие себя за таковых. Вся внешняя политика Евросоюза находится в руках Брюсселя, а Брюссель, в свою очередь, находится в руках... Ведь в ЕС общая внешняя политика и политика в области безопасности. Что вы способны добавить к этому? Ну, расскажите тогда уж о поставляемом вами оружии преступному киевскому режиму, которому обстреливает не военные цели а мирное гражданское население российских городов. А представитель Великобритании пусть нам поведает, как его бывший премьер Борис Джонсон отговорил киевские власти заключить уже парафированное в апреле 22 года мирное соглашение с Россией, вдохновив Киев продолжать боевые действия и обрекши на смерть десятки тысяч несчастных украинцев, брошенных на фронт в качестве пушечного мяса. Я не буду слушать ритуальные заклинания представителей европейских столиц. Пусть они упражняются в своем красноречии друг перед другом, засоряя эфир своими лицемерными yeah, and and all just clients of, uh, you know, as he said, Brussels is in, is in the hands of the EU. EU countries are in the hands of Brussels, and Brussels is in the hands of Washington, D.C. So then immediately afterwards you had um, Sikorsky, who is the foreign minister of Poland, uh, husband of Applebaum. Anne Applebaum of the Council of Foreign Relations, you know, deep stater in the U.S., and he's the guy also who uh, posted that uh, tweet a year or year or so ago um, thank you America or thank you USA uh, with a picture of the Nord Stream 2 ex- kind of explosion let's say or outgassing um, so he's now the foreign minister of Poland he's a career diplomat very uh, very transatlantic Anglo-American or Polish-American Anglo-American whatever 
And uh, so anyway, this was, he was, don't, we don't want you to play this, I want you to actually jump forward to 240, because um, he just refutes, Mother tries Mother. to refute everything that, what do you call him? The Valeri. Valeri just said there. Um, he just says, you know, you're wrong, unless you're wrong on that, blah, blah, blah. But there's something very interesting he says at uh, 240 or so. Scotty has it there. Go ahead. He says that uh, this is a perfidious proxy war by the West. My advice is don't fall into the Western trap. Withdraw your troops to the international border and uh, avoid uh, this um, uh, Western plot. Okay, he also says that there was an he, illegal... <laughs> so in refuting, in attempting to refute, because yeah, I don't want yeah. to say that, he basically... He said the quiet part out loud. Well, you know, the, Valeri, the, Rush, the Russian representative had, had said that it was basically a Western-inspired war using Ukraine to attack Russia as a proxy war. And this guy, a Polish foreign minister, says, yeah, you said about that it was a proxy war. Well, my advice for you to, to, in, that, in that situation is to just withdraw your troops from this plot, as you call it, of a proxy war. So he didn't refute it. He didn't say that's nonsense. He just said, in that case... You know, assuming it's a proxy war against Russia by the West using Ukraine, you should just back out to save your save yourself the problem. And the Russians responded and said, "No, because those four regions have joined Russian Federation, so mm-hmm. Ukraine should back out." Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, we're not going to do that. But it's interesting that he just more or less. Didn't deny it, and it's a tacit admission that, yeah, you're right, it is a proxy war, which just blows everything else. It just confirms everything the Russians have saying, com- confirms the Russian stance, because what stance, what, what other stance would you take, and confirms the Russians' uh, you know, moral uh, right to, to do what they're doing, to, to, have, to having invaded, invaded Ukraine to protect their interests, because this was a war, con- uh, you know, Brewed up by the West, by the US in particular, against Russia using Ukraine. And I mean, if you, you know, I mean, everybody has a right to self defense, and it clearly was a, a deliberate attempted attack using Ukraine against Russian Russian citizens or Russian nationals in, 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 in Donbass, and also potentially, who knows what would have happened after that, but the Russians couldn't take any chances that the, it could have spread back, you know, into the, across the Russian border very easily. So it was a very clear and present danger and threat to Russia itself by NATO and they took action to prevent it from from, from any of that danger uh, materialising so uh, that's the end of the story you know well, all the reasons Russia where it ends Medvedev said this week that uh, as long as Kiev is still as it is a threat will, to Russia will constantly emanate from it yeah and then he proceeded to call Odessa home, hmm. a Russian city. So, yeah, but what I mean, what I mean like is all the reams. I'm not sure where it stops, but what I mean, what I mean is all the reams of, or lengthy tomes and books and massive billions of words written by journalists over the past two years or more uh, on how talking about in one way or another Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine and how it was. Putin's a dictator and Putin's trying to expand the, the Russian Empire, blah, 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 the Soviet Empire, the Soviet Union or the Russian Empire, whatever. Uh, it's all nonsense. I mean, anybody with any sense knows what he just tacitly admitted to, which was that this was a, a war that was brought to Russia by NATO. 
and nobody in their right mind would deny Russia the right to respond to that looming threat. So that's the end of the story. You can just remove all of those billions of words that have been written over the past two years uh, claiming that claiming otherwise. It's not true. There's, there's, no, there's no moral issue here, essentially. Russia has the moral right, has, has, is, is, in the, is morally right to have done what it's done. And the, the blame for any negative repercussions from it are put at the door of NATO, who initiated the conflict. Very simple. Yeah. You can basically, everybody can just stop arguing over that now and move on to argue about something else because that's the fact of, of the matter. And I think most people know that, you know, of course they lie about it all the time. But um, yesterday was the two year anniversary of the launch of the SMO. Hmm. Um, it's funny that I, f- I found that the f- first thing I thought of myself before seeing any other, many others that had the same thought was to give flashback videos to the Gostamel oper- airport operation. Gostamel, hmm. Gostamel. Um, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Day one. Um, that was something else, like hundreds of Russian choppers, well, certainly dozens, carrying paratroopers right across northern Ukraine, directly to this second airport, which is sort of a mil- military hub on the west of Kiev. Um, spectacular, and it's just audacious. I don't think, and the U.S. hasn't ever tried anything like that. Not maybe since not since Vietnam. Uh, maybe, yeah, Iraq, I suppose. But they did that after, and sure, I mean, they total fire yeah. cover. Of course, they claimed that they were all wiped out, which is not not the no, case. No, 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 it footage. was so spectacular. But <clears throat> subsequently, in the two years since, they've rewritten the history of it. You now have to look pretty hard. You can get some decent documentaries, Russian made, on Rumble. Mm. That's about it. There's almost nothing about it on Twitter. Um. And it was from that that the three days to invade, three days to take uh, Ukraine, well, or two, three, me, three days to take Kiev, and three three days to win the war came me, from when no one actually. Let uh, me flesh it out. So that happened immediately, and in about three weeks, indeed, they had Kiev in a vice grip on the west and the east side of the city, with lines convoys. You remember the long convoys mm-hmm. stretching back, uh, and north directly north to Belarus and also to Russian territory northeast. Mm-hmm. Kiev was in a vice grip. That was like immediately. <laughs> and then, of course, they since said, uh, at the time, they said, Jesus Christ, they're going to take it in, in no time at all. That was never the point, though. The point was a holding operation. It was a threat to Kiev. To, to draw, draw Ukrainian forces to, to Kiev and obviously to pressure politically um, Zelensky, who had since fled, uh, along with tens of thousands of civilians who initially panicked. They thought the Russians were at the storm of the city. Um, but they never had enough forces to to do that. It was just to hold it militarily outside. Anyway, let me mention that because if that was the first thing I thought of when I was reflecting on the two-year anniversary. And then I noticed that yesterday, Zelensky, von der Leyen, who brought along the Italian and Belgian prime ministers, and... Trudeau gave a joint presser speech at a ceremony marking the recapture, in quotes, of Hostomel Airport mm-hmm. um, with the ruins of the air control tower in the background. And I thought, that's weird. 
it's almost like they know the significance of what took place there. But in the retelling of what happened, which is that Ukraine militarily took it back, they didn't. The Russians, the Russians withdrew. They withdrew under a peace deal. Under they an withdrew because as Boris Johnson, yeah, that Johnson sabotaged. And yet they went there to basically big up. You know, we'll never in this. We won't stop until Russia's gone. Blah blah blah. And this this place we're standing in, you know, is symbolic of Ukrainian resistance. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, narrative. No, I think I think the reality of that situation was they took that airport, which is outside uh, Kiev, and there were very little, there were very little in terms of uh, defence of Ukraine. All of the lines have been drawn. This is why Russia invaded. All the lines have been drawn. Uh, the, the defensive lines had been all installed over many years previously along uh, Donbas in order for the invasion of Donbas. So very little in, <coughs> in the way of Russian, uh, or sorry, Ukrainian uh, troops and. Um, you know, weaponry were in and around Kiev. Uh, that was a direct threat, and it could have been. It could have been. Um, it could have been implemented. Were what they were saying at the time, and that's why the the Ukrainians and Zelensky at that point in time actually agreed to some kind of uh, had drawn up peace plans. Russia wanted to end the whole thing before it would even start. Which is, look, uh, you need to get back to Minsk. The Minsk protocols, and you need to um, need to settle this peacefully, and leave people in Donbass alone, or we're going to destroy Kiev, and we will destroy Kiev, and we can destroy Kiev because we have that airport, and we can fly in any number of transport planes, any number of troops, any number of equipment, and we can literally destroy Kiev. We can decapitate your government within a few days; you'll all be dead. The entire Ukrainian government will be dead within twenty-four hours. What are you going to do then? What kind of war are you going to have then? Um, and the Ukrainians, Zelensky, etc., decided to yeah, that's actually yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Let's have let's see if we can work something out. Let's not have this war, and accept Bojo under orders from Washington D.C. Obviously, came in and said, change their mind. Yeah, and from that moment, the, the initial tempo changed completely because once they voluntarily withdrew from Kiev and most of northern Ukraine. From then on is when Western leaders began flying in. Initially, they were scared of flying in. They got trains in from Poland. Mm-hmm. Later, they began to fly in. And now it's like von der Leyen is there like on a fucking weekly basis or mm-hmm. something. Um, that, uh, that could only begin w- when Russia voluntarily withdrew. But they shaped it, obviously, in the Western <coughs> media as... A valiant yeah. military victory. Yeah, of course, they have valiant shit that way. The dis- dishonor of these people is is limitless. Like mm. just, some a peace, a possible peace deal to stop the war <clears throat> three weeks into it is sabotaged, and they spin that into a military victory because the West wanted a war. Yeah, it's so faggoty. It's yeah. like it's it's well. The whole point was to have a proxy war using Ukraine, a long protracted proxy war that would right. you know drain Russia and so give Russia was, problems. So Putin, they wanted it. Was Putin naive? In what? To that. Okay, we'll voluntarily withdraw. We just need two more signatures and the Istanbul arrangement's done. Mm-hmm. That's what he thought, I presume. Mm-hmm. Hence he did it. Well, he was testing the water. He can't be sure, but you test the water to see to what extent there is uh, decision-making power within Kiev. If, if there's anybody, including Lysanski and the people around him, if they have the ability to turn around and say, no, look, we're an independent country and we're not going to go along with your, with your plans um, because it's not in our interest. Uh, therefore, we're going to make some kind of a peace agreement. We can see you know, the Minsk, Minsk agreements are, are a good template for a peace agreement. They, they should have been fulfilled. And again, it was 
there was the West, it was European countries, as famously stated by uh, what do you call her, um, Frau uh, Merkel of Germany, who admitted and others admitted that uh, the Minsk agreements all along were just from about 2014, all along were just uh, uh, buying time to build up the Ukrainian military. And of course, the Ukrainians were complicit in that. But when it came down to it, and Russia decided, okay, we're invading and we're going to kill you all. Then the Ukrainian government was like, oh, hang on a minute, is this a good idea? But some, whatever kind of leverage was used, whatever convincing arguments were made by Boris Johnson on behalf of Washington DC and the Brits, uh, maybe they were maybe they were coerced into it in one, in one way or another, you know? Yeah, I'm sure there's some of that going on. I think it could be simpler than that. Or, or the immediate factor would have been, oh, they withdrew their troops. Okay, cool. We can screw them well, over. Let's just keep going. That's stupid. Like. And, and we'll tell Westerners that we, we chase them out valiantly. Yeah. And then they'll be like, yeah, go Ukraine. Yeah. Once the, once the threat had been lifted, it's almost like, it's, it's, it's just perfidious. It's perfidious Albion. It's perfidy of Washington, D.C. Like, and, it, and it's not the first time. But Russia, you know, Russia has its own interests and stuff. And it can't, you know, it, it tries to apply, apply leverage and, and create situations where when you make an agreement, when they make an, Russia makes an agreement with the West, that there's certain factors involved in it that would force them to abide by their part of the agreement, because otherwise they won't. And they try to do that, but then they slip out of it at every opportunity. So when Russia actually, when they made that agreement and, and signed it and the Ukrainians said, okay, you know, uh, you withdraw your troops from, from Hostomel and leave Kiev alone and we'll, we'll work this out peacefully. Russia went, okay. I mean, how do you, in that moment, how, do you decide, nah, you're lying to me. I'm going to, mm. you have to test to see, you know, yeah. and you think there's at least a 50-50 chance that they will abide by it this time. Uh, because we clearly have demonstrated, demonstrated what we, that what we, what we can, do. can do. And uh, But uh, with, with jippos like them, uh, they uh, every time, every time, they, once they get their way, then they back out of the agreement. Yeah, it's it's got to be maddening. Like you'd love to just hand in their ass, like once and for all. I you know. Um, speaking of this, this oh yeah, yeah are you still on Ukraine. You're going off. Somewhere? Yeah, but on Ukraine grain, grain, Ukraine grain, oh, grain. I've um. Don't have a link, but uh, from memory, um, two days ago, for the first time, I think we have a reasonable estimate of Russian military deaths in the war. I say reasonable because it comes from the BBC's Russian service in joint collaboration with Media Zona and Medusa, both of which are extreme anti-Putin Russian media organizations, and they're not in prison. But in this case, they did their due diligence, and they actually cal- Got came up with a uh, current tracking figure for Russian deaths mm-hmm. by verifying the names of personnel, you know, where they died. They didn't just, they went with what do we know exactly and also where they were from in Russia. And so they have a total infographic map breakdown of where mm-hmm. they're from. The, the death toll for them that can be verified name by name is currently, as of last week, 44,500 Russians. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. If you consider that Ukraine is. 10 to 1, yeah. About 400,000 Ukrainians, at least. Well, that's the figure last August was 500,000, but that's for Ukrainians, but that was both KIA and wounded. Mm-hmm. 
but maybe with the last winter. So 45,000 is the number of Russians dead. Dead. Yeah. Um, I'd say there's probably upwards of about 400,000 Ukrainians dead. killed, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's probably <clears throat> somewhere between three and 400,000, yeah. yeah. Um, the the I, estimates all along have been, and you know, this is over the course of two years, have been somewhere between 78 to 10 to 1. And if you look, if you look up quickly, to Google it, um, the vast majority of Western media statements citing the, the Pentagon and the British MOD are, are similar figures. Around 40, 40 to 50,000 dead Ukrainians and 300 to 350,000 dead Russians. All they did was flip, whoosh, yeah. change them. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, um, this gets us into forming uh, a little bit. Uh, this is just a... You know the Polish farmers. You think you talk about European farmers, French farmers, etc., um, protesting and stuff. But Polish farmers have been protesting. And essentially, it's at least in part for exactly the same reason. Yeah. This is uh, eight wagons of Ukrainian grain uh, coming to. You can go ahead and play. Uh, coming to. Uh, yeah, we don't need a sound. Ukrainian grain being transported. From, from, from Ukraine to Poland. Yeah. And, you know, um, there's been a thing. It's been ongoing for quite a while, actually. It's like it was last year they were talking about, about this already. Polish farmers not yeah. happy about it. And, you know, it's spun in the media as just cheaper Ukrainian grain, yeah. right? So Ukraine can somehow just produce cheaper grain. But why wasn't this an issue before? Uh, or a major issue before? Because Ukrainian, Ukraine has been producing grain... Um, sunflower seeds, sunflower oil, etc., for a very long time and, and shipping it to many places, but including... Since Stalin's collectivization, <coughs> exactly. Including Europe. Hey, Stalin. Including Europe, but suddenly it's in the past two years because of, because of um, coinciding with the, with the conflict, it's become a much bigger issue. Now, the, the thing that seems to be happening is that in order to finance Ukraine, to keep Ukraine propped up and to, as, as one of the ways in which the West supports Ukraine particularly European countries, is that they're buying a lot more Ukrainian grain and other products from Ukraine to the extent that, to whatever extent they're, they're still able to reduce it, which is still significant. They're buying a lot more grain and paying Ukraine for their products. So they're trying to keep Ukraine running as a country in the same way that it ran before, which is, you know, doing trade with the things that it's trading with Ukraine on the basis of the things that it produces, you know, buying its products. But they're buying a lot more Buying than they did previously. A, well, buying in, in exchange like, for support. It, yeah, it's more like we'll pay the salaries of yeah. all your public state exactly. workers. You just give us, just sh- keep it shipping. Yeah. And that's easy to do because the biggest contractors, owners of either buyers, either owners of the farming outright or buyers of the products of farmers are American venture capitalists. Right, and, BlackRock. Uh, pension funds. Yeah. BlackRock, State Street. Yep. But I think the problem is that they're buying a lot more of it and shipping a lot more of it into European countries. And yeah. the first countries on, obviously, Poland, c- countries on the, Europe, yeah, on the Ukrainian border. But then it's coming all the way to all, all the way to France and other European countries. And that's impacting local farmers because it's driving the price down and there's an oversupply. Uh, so there's not much, as much need. So you have French farmers who are producing a lot of their own. Obviously, a lot of France is a very big uh, farming country and produce a lot of uh, different, different cereals. And what are they going to do whenever a priority has been given to Ukrainian grain uh, in large quantities? 
and at, 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 at a lower price. Supermarket chains and different manufacturers are buying it at a lower price because it's from Ukraine, and that's the deal that's being that's being made with with Ukraine. You know, so um, and that brings us on to uh, wait, wait before we go, just to clear, you didn't actually say it. Was that train was stopped? Train? Yeah, and sabotaged by Polish farmers. Yeah, crazy. That's which is yeah. That's not dumping it. That's we saw images of that last month. The French farmers were stopping trucks coming in from coming in and just throwing out anything. Well, specific things they didn't just randomly smash stuff up. Mm-hmm. And then we have this. So ongoing. So farmers, we probably know a few a few weeks, several weeks ago, your uh, French farmers were kind of doing what French farmers do when they get angry, which is they go and spread manure and block roads and block highways and all that kind of stuff. And then they suppose they had a meeting, they had a meeting with uh, the new French Macron's uh, batty boy, uh, Macron's bombchum, the new French Prime Minister, who's 34. Um, he... Um, is what? <laughs> he... Um, he had a talk with them and told them, listen, it's all going to be worked out. We're going to do whatever you want. We're going to sort it all out. And here's all the things we're going to do. And then they gave it a couple of weeks and he didn't do any of those things. And it was obviously a ruse. So they got back on the, on the streets uh, in, in recent days. And then there's a, so there's a big agricultural fair basically up in Paris that is held annually w- once a year. And yeah. it was on yesterday. Was it yesterday, Saturday? It's a French farmer's CPAC. Yeah. Exactly, and uh, farmers were there, but they weren't happy. They, they weren't there just to kind of uh, to to peddle their wares. They were there to, um, you know, protest basically. And so there's, I don't have the video of them, but there's video of them clashing with police. Police are inside the actual. It's a big kind of warehouse, basically, you know, expo center. And do you, maybe you have it? I did. I'm afraid I don't oh, did? anymore. <laughs> Neil, I look. What are you doing? Um, I've got like 10 links and all 50 of the other ones didn't come. Anyway, um, so Macron then is asked by the media, um, so what are you going to do? But the farmers are still pretty pissed off. How are you going to solve this problem? And one of the problems obviously is cheap, cheap, um, one of the sore points is cheap grain from Ukraine. And Macron's response was, the following. I'll have to translate it. Go ahead. Plusieurs dizaines de dirigeants européens. Donc dans deux jours, je réunis à Paris plusieurs dizaines de dirigeants européens et internationaux pour justement renforcer l'aide à l'Ukraine, mais surtout avoir une discussion stratégique sur la, la nature et les caractéristiques de notre aide à l'Ukraine. Je suis convaincu, je l'ai dit quand j'ai reçu le président Zelensky. Nous sommes à un moment critique et qu'on doit aujourd'hui renforcer notre posture. Donner so basically, you probably heard Ukraine, Ukraine, Zelensky there. That was pretty much what his answer to the, yeah. what are you going to do about the farmers? Ukraine, Ukraine, Zelensky. Yeah, but Macron, the problem is that the farmers are complaining about cheap Ukrainian grain coming in the country. So what are you going to do? I'm going to do Ukraine, Ukraine, Zelensky. And you think that's a good solution? Basically, what he said was that in a, in a few days, I'm going to meet with uh, several dozen uh, European directors and we're going to come up with a, a, be, a you know, a reinforced heads of, state. Uh, uh, heads of state. And we're going to come with uh, a, a new plan, a new plan, a reinforced plan for how to how to help Ukraine even more uh, because it's really at a, at a, at a critical point and um, and how we're going to finance them. In, in, in a better way. Um, so I think, to to be fair to him, he's not that stupid. I think he might have been trying to trying to 
you know, appease the farmers by saying, look, we're going to change the way that we support Ukraine. Like, that's not, not supporting Ukraine is not an option. We're going to continue to support Ukraine. But the way we're going to do it is that maybe we're not going to buy as much grain from Ukraine and we'll just give them money some other way. Uh, so you're happy now. And the farmers are like, no, because you shouldn't be giving any money to Ukraine. You should be giving money to the farmers for subsidies. It's, they speak out of, it's a hallmark <clears throat> of, of Western rule. Speak out of both sides of your mouth. Um, last week, we included a link at the end of the show. Hmm. I had a statement from the new foreign minister, Atal's hmm. ex-husband, who said, the war in Ukraine is about control over the food supply. Mm-hmm. We can't let Russia win or it will have mm-hmm. domination in the market and grains. Mm-hmm. He just said why they're doing it. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily to flood European markets now, but it, they're trying to lock mm-hmm. Ukraine's economy as ad, on an ad hoc it basis did. into the European Union system ASAP before Russia takes it. They're trying to have skin it's, in the game. It's yeah. pure like just smash and grab. It's like, uh, what do they call it for Africa? The, the what for Africa, the scramble for Africa. Mm. This is the scramble for Ukraine. And if that means flooding the market in the temporary while if, you know, we work out a few kinks, they don't give a shit. Yeah. They can't, quote, let Russia have it. They see it as zero-sum. Everything's zero-sum game, you know? Mm-hmm. I have, I have um, found the um, footage from the, the Salon de l'Agriculture. Mm. Um, this might be the best one to show because although you have to split your eyes... This was the point. This was shown on the same news channel on the evening news yesterday, right? Um, okay, so before you play it, top screen shows Macron petting cows and doing the political thing, and bottom screen shows like simultaneously just elsewhere in this vast hall, riots kicking off. You can stop it there. Is that, is that our internet connection squirrely? Yeah, I was super slow before the show started. Hmm. Um, partly why I was late. I couldn't get anything to load. Um, so there, and the commenter, I, I, I translated the commenter's point there at the end where he says, these images are terrible or crazy. The, the disconnection is total. And that that's perfectly sums it up. He knows shit's going, he can hear the hollering going down the other end of the hall, but he carries on to the camera. But this is the real image I want to present. Mm-hmm. You know, here I am with the farmers. Yeah, no, they're not on your side, man. <laughs> here's, a, here's another one. Um. Interestingly, the leader of the opposition also attended the fair and the whole hall erupted chanting his name. Not Le Pen, her, her underling, mm-hmm. Bardella. This is them looking for Macron, according to the... (laughs) 
protect the president. Well, not yeah. Those guys are security for the event. Yeah. But then what happened was <clears throat> there's a lot of videos where there's hundreds of people with orange armbands. Those mm-hmm. are uh, plainclothes police in, mm-hmm. in France. And then there's footage of the CRS, the gendarme riot police being called in mm-hmm. by the hundreds. <laughs> well, this is, this but it was never threatened to get that serious. They've never, they, they smashed down the EU stand or something. Mm. But I saw interviews with people who were participating and, you know, it this, was, it was, it this was light is, enough. That wasn't a real French... This is a prefect of, of the region. No, yeah, there's a prefect of the region just um, <laughs> turning tail. He, he walks in to, you know, I don't know, he's planning to go and say something or talk to someone, but you notice the riot police with him already. So watch there. Here's a lot of whistling. Yeah, that's, uh, let's not do that. <laughs> what a douchebag. Um, well, you've got to try. At least he's in France this time. Yeah. He was in India last time. I mm. left the towel to handle it. Uh, we're, people still aren't quite, I don't know, they're angry and stuff, but I still think that, that they think they can still plead. I don't know. On the one hand, they seem to think they can still plead with the government to do to turn the ship save it around and mm-hmm. to do things right but um on the other hand i did see interviews with farm representatives there who were like it's not just the grains it's not just ukraine it's everything we don't want to wear masks again we're sick of the woke stuff um so on the one hand they're connecting it all together but on the other hand like you do your protest and you go home the government just goes are, are they gone it's like gostomel in mm-hmm. Ukraine, where mm-hmm. the Russians have left. Oh, phew. Crisis passed. Right. Let's turn this around in the in present presentation of what's going on and call it a victory. Mm-hmm. Just, well, just reality. <laughs> That's how they see reality. So, in a sense, it's the same as in Ukraine. The only thing they understand is physical force. Right. Which I'm suggesting here is the only thing that would change anything is full bore revolution. But without, you know... I'm not actually going to call for that because, on the other hand, I think even that, you know, there's no guaranteed results from that either. Mm-hmm. So it's like mass, just mass ignoring them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but certainly the middle ground of pleading with them to please not do that, like, no, they can't hear you. Yeah. Um, Navalny. Oh Jesus! That came and went, didn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, it was the, last week's hate, Russia hate week. Um, yeah, uh, thirteen rounds of sanctions because Navalny mentioned that already. Mm-hmm. This is apparently um, <clears throat> he's the head of the is he the head of the SPU? Yeah, he's the head of the Russian or Ukrainian intelligence. It's no point in really playing it. We'll put it in the show, lo- show notes. But um, the official translation is talk- him talking. This is the head of Ukrainian intelligence saying, I may disappoint you, but what we know is that Navalny really died from a blood clot. So Putin didn't personally assassinate him. Mm. Yeah. Know? Being the kind of Russian he was, he probably <coughs> insisted on getting. Pfizer vaccine five times 
because the West is the best. Mm-hmm. Navalny, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, Navalny. I pointed out on Twitter that, you know, technically he wasn't the head of Russian opposition. And that uh, caused a bit of a mm. kerfuffle. I pointed out that based on election results, the head of the opposition in Russia is the leader of the Communist Party. And that got derided big time. Mm-hmm. You don't understand anything. In Russia, that's like the fake opposition. Yeah, <laughs> no shit. But the West is telling everyone that Navalny was the actual leader of the Russian political opposition. Mm-hmm. In the West, especially in the United States and the UK, whence all this propaganda comes from mainly, that means something specific. That means Keir Starmer of the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. That means sort of Donald Trump, but more specifically in the American context, it means the 11 MAGA Freedom Caucus mm-hmm. in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, people, it's amazing how if you just if you just say it often enough. And Navalny, of course, didn't just this didn't just happen. Now he's got ten, fifteen years of a track record of propaganda. It's almost like the lie is so big and long lasting, the mind just can't comprehend that it would be anything other than now than what they say it is. Yeah. So yeah. when the when it comes time and he dies, it's like, of course, Putin killed him. Yeah. Last year, well, they really built it up because last year. Um in the best documentary in the Oscars, uh, a oh, documentary yeah, called Navalny uh, actually won won the Oscar. Right. Yeah. And that, yeah, yeah. You, you, you lay down this track record that you saturate <clears throat> the whole zone, mm-hmm. and that there is no other proper thought. It's just amazing. This is the thing about how the West works. They're doing censorship now. There's there's indeed growing censorship because it's no longer working like it used to. Mm-hmm. But still, the primary way information control works in the West is just flooding the zone. Yep with bullshit and ideally in a clever way that's consistent over time you know mm-hmm. just on your on your point about um, on deaths in the in the war in Ukraine this is one minute ago so you can't get you can't get any more breaking news than this folks check this out this is from the BBC one minute ago and it's Zelensky reporting Zelensky how you got that title 57 minutes ago. Show me the title. 525. Yeah. They changed it. <laughs> they do that often. Yeah. Um, what does yours say? Mine says Ukraine war. Zelensky says 31,000 troops killed. Ukraine president says 31,000 soldiers have been killed since Russia's full scale invasion began. He said he would not give the number of wounded as that would help Russian military planning. So there you go. 31,000. Multiply it by 10 and there you go. Yeah, divide by 10 is their, is their attitude. That's weird that you got a different. Uh, does mine change? Go to go to uh, just go to take off the extension. And go to go to bbc.com news, Scotty. Take off the world thing. Just bbc.com news. There you go. Oh. and it's rare for officials to specify how many soldiers have died since Russia too. There it shows. Hmm. Weird. Some. It might be to do with their. Some AI. Yeah. No, it's, it's <clears throat> Sometimes when you click on an article, it's you, you click on a headline on the homepage of 
an MSM site mm-hmm. thinking it's an article, but it actually opens up to a rolling coverage of multiple paragraphs, and each one is a subheading, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like today's Ukraine war coverage, and it's one item among... And actually, the headline you're looking for is buried down because of recent updates. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah. Zelensky. I... I the thing with... Um, getting Trudeau out there um, at uh, Kostomol two days ago. That's, I, I, I suppose it's to try it's to pressure the American Congress to give, what, another 60 billion in aid to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I don't think it will. I don't think they're going to get it. I think that those kind of Articles around New Year where they were saying, you know, it looks like Russia's going to win this, realistically. Um, I think that's the prevailing mood in the United States. That what? That they won't, they won't give, they won't, <clears throat> they won't continue, at least not at the same scale, not the 60 billion. No. Weapons, weapons package, so... Mm. And you Having that said that, they are they're opening the ante in the information war. Like I said at the beginning of the show, um, the NATO Secretary General says uh, we're go to give them fighter jets. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you're talking about Stoltenberg, that big goon. <laughs> he's classy. He's a perfect person to be a NATO NATO chief, uh, he was saying that uh, they're going to get... Uh, he said during the week that uh, they would soon get the, I mean, the, the, f- the much-fabled uh, F-16s that Ukraine's going to get from America. They're going to get them, and they will be allowed to use them to launch attacks anywhere in Russia. Yeah. Um, which obviously is a red line, but um, there's just so much so much talk and so much propaganda, and it's, it'll, it'll go where it's going to go regardless of what any of them say, you know what I mean? Um, but they certainly can't drag it out for... Just, their goal all along has been, has been to, give in, to give Russia its Vietnam, part two, right? So they tried to give Russia its Vietnam in, um, in Afghanistan with, by, um, with the Mujahideen back in the late 70s. Uh, and this, they're using the same, the same game plan, which is basically just, uh, you know, they're exa- using exactly the same game plan, essentially. They just substituted uh, Mujahideen for... Um, for Ukrainians, or they'll be around. Substitute <coughs> Ukrainians for Mujahideen, yeah. and it's just and you know, in their hubris, keep them, keep them, keep them busy, basically. Well, no, I think they 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 said it at the outset that the the goal is to collapse the Russian economy. Well, yeah, ideally, ideally, but in and, the event that doesn't in their happen, hubris, they really believe that because that is what happened in the nineteen eighties. So the death oh. toll of Russian KIA in Afghanistan was around fifteen thousand. They're currently at three times that in two years rather than ten. Mm. But the Russian economy has grown mm. every year since it. Mm. So there's a, they're, they're handling a different beast, but they still think it's the same, same similar-ish to mm. the one of old. Well, they're trying desperately with their sanctions and all that kind of stuff, but they're obviously not working in a more globalized world you know, or, or in, a, in a more multipolar world uh, with Russia being yeah, different, totally different country than it was in the, in the late 70s and 80s. But... Um, even despite the evidence that you know its economy is growing, all that kind of stuff, they figure, well, we just keep doubling down because, at the very least, we're giving them a problem, right? We're still giving them a 
At the very least, we can still call Putin a dictator and, and isolate them from a propaganda perspective, if nothing else. Even if everything else goes Russia's way, we can still use it to call Putin a dictator and say Russia's a, a, a gas station with a, with Like loops. John Stewart did in a ha-ha moment in his second show last week. Yeah. Um, he was countering Tucker Carlson's feel-good, you know, positive propaganda videos where he's shopping in the mall and mm-hmm. a supermarket in Moscow. And he played a bit and then he paused it and he said, yeah, yeah, Tucker, they have all those nice things like palatial subway stations and we don't because that's the price of freedom, Tucker. Freedom and then the, is the crowd freedom. goes, ha, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, freedom. Just say freedom, freedom isn't free. It costs folks like you and me, which was the mantra of the right after 9-11. And here's mm-hmm. a lefty mm-hmm. using the same thing. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Just say freedom to Americans and, you know. Why, why are we doing that? Because freedom. Why are we, you know. Victoria Newland yesterday. Mm. She, she was at the State Department in person. She remi- I just want to remind everyone why we go around the world. Freedom! It's to defend freedom and democracy. It's just the freedom. Um, you want some freedom of that? <coughs> yeah. Um, high drama in British Parliament. Um, Tuesday. The... Labour Party and the Scottish National Party wanted a debate on Israel. Israel-Palestine. Ideally leading up to a, a vote condemning Israel's genocide, either supporting the ICJ in framing it as genocide or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but a terror threat shut it down. At least that's what the Speaker of the House said when he refused it mm-hmm. initially. Um, I wonder... Obviously, people were skeptical and said, oh, God, they would say that, wouldn't they? But if you, I think I have it here. If you listen to what exactly he said, he was very specific that there were, that he had, at least that he'd been privy to specific information that threats had been made against. Have a listen. I made a judgment call that didn't end up in the position where I expected it to. I regret it. I apologize to the SNP. Just, just bear with me for I apologise, and I apologise to the House. I made a mistake. We do make mistakes. I am up to mine. I would say that we can have an SO24 to get an immediate debate, because the debate is so important to this House. I will defend every member in this House. Every member matters to me in this House. And it has been said, both sides, I never, ever want to go through a situation where I pick up a phone to find a friend of whatever side has been murdered by terrorists. I also don't want another attack on this house. I was in the chair on that day. I have seen, I have witnessed. I won't share the details. But the details of the things that have been brought to me are absolutely frightening on all members of this House, on all sides. I have a duty of care, and I say that, 
And if my mistake is looking after members, I am guilty. I am guilty because... I have a duty of care that I will carry out to protect people. It is the protection that led me to make a wrong decision. But what I do not apologise is the risk that's being put on all members at the moment. I had serious meetings yesterday with the police on the issues and threats to politicians, threats heading to an election. And I do not want anything to happen again. So, yes, I will apologise. I always will when I make a mistake. I did. I offer an SO24. Okay. I believe him. The only question you have to ask yourself is, when he says, I've seen credible threats from terrorists, would Muslim terrorists do something to kill British MPs just to prevent them having a discussion about Israel's slaughter of Muslim civilians. So terrorists, yeah, but who? Mm-hmm. Mm. <coughs> Don't know. Can't figure that one out. Um, no? no? Scratching the heads there. Don't know who would pick up the phone and threaten them. <coughs> Call them all shlemiels or something. Uh, Speaking if you, you Shlemiels have a vote, I'm going to blow up Parliament. Anyway, uh, go ahead. Uh, speaking of resistance to Israel's genocide, Yemen uh, did some more fireworks last week. On the same day, I think it was last Monday, the Houthis shot down a Reaper drone, their second. Mm. Um, uh, successfully hit, and we know they did now, they tried to cover it up at first, a UK cargo was it an oil ship or a cargo ship? UK registered. Mm. But it's interesting that they knew that because Western media reported it as they just hit this Belize flagged ship or owned by a Lebanese. But specifically, it was UK registered. So again, they, they're they operating on specific in, intel. They also hit two more US ones. I think the latter is their claim. But we have evidence that they did hit this cargo ship, which was called the MV Rubiar, Rubimar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's now footage of it six days later that indeed the thing is half on the water. It's mm-hmm. barely, it's not sunk, sunk, but there's also an oil slick coming off of it somewhere in the Gulf of Aden. Um, <clears throat> the, yeah, like I said, they hit two US ships. Then there was another wave, uh, yesterday, another wave of Anglo-American airstrikes, um, against Houthi targets in Yemen, claiming they hit, they hit the military, they hit the missile sites from which the things are fired. Did they? Because today Yemen just hit another ship. Um, don't have the link here. So from memory, the one they hit today was, I think, an, another American one. Uh, was it a warship? Can't remember. So, yeah, it's, I don't know what kind of real effect. Apparently, the, the information that was put out maybe three weeks ago that well, Israel is not affected because what they're doing is they're organizing for ships to arrive in the UAE and then they're carried across land into Israel that way by Saudi Arabia. Apparently, that's bullshit. 
maybe some of that's happening, but it's far slower and it's um, it's more like feel good stuff. The real world effect, according to the Israeli ministry, uh, one of um, is that Israel's economy has shrunk by a fifth. It's down twenty percent. That's their own statements. Who's Israel's? Did they factor that in? I don't know. Does this come as a surprise to them? I don't know, but um, you can be sure they'll be looking for um, cash infusions. And can we sure they'll get them too? Um, <clears throat> apparently, um, I haven't seen any Russian report on this, but apparently Transnistria, What's that little place? sliver of land between... Transnistria. Transnistria. Um, between Western Ukraine and Moldova, they're having a referendum next week. Yeah. On, they already claim secession from Moldova, mm-hmm. but the referendum I think is to join uh, Russia. Russia. That could be um, a sign of something to come with respect to the Odessa region. No, it's it's not confirmed. Institute for the Study of War, Transnistria may organize a referendum mm-hmm. on joining Russia. We'll see. Um, the only thing I only thing I've got is. Um, um, do you want to talk about Google's AI thing, where you, they don't let you see white people? Did you know Irish people were black? Always have been. Always were. Always were. Black gingers. That's it, that's so egregious. That's so. <laughs> they're getting. It's almost like guys. You could have been more subtle. You know, just do it a bit. You're supposed to. You're supposed to titrate people with this. Mm-hmm. But if you go full bore and just block reality and just just completely paint over it, it's not going to work. So indeed, it's backfiring on them in a big way. But then that's Google for you. Apparently, they stopped it as a result of the the bad press that we're getting. Yeah, from it, you know? temporarily to, stopped it. We're going to review it. Yeah, just there's many generation of people. It wouldn't give people. I had a discussion with it because it go. only got released during the week there, and I just came across it and I just checked it out to see. And it's not you don't have to sign up for it or anything. You just go to it's like a Google it's from Google dot com. You can get to it or whatever and. I had a discussion with it, and I just wanted to show... I asked it to show me a picture of... Um, I checked the Pope thing first. Yeah. Um, they gave people a female Indian Pope. Yeah, I didn't get the female Pope, but I then asked it to give me an image of... of show me an image of a typical Irish person. And it wouldn't. It gave me this long screed about how there's no such thing as a typical Irish person, and it's dangerous and right. potentially harmful to other people and um, blah, blah, blah. And then, so then eventually after having this ridiculous conversation with it, uh, which is really just the product of the mind of Google programmers, woke Google programmers, um, I just said, okay, give me, show me an image of an Irish person. I moved out of a person from Ireland or something like that. Because I understood what his point was. It didn't want typical. Yeah. Um, or average Irish person you had to remove those terms um, and I just said give, show me an image of Irish people 
and it showed me a collage of different some Irish dancers and different people like that, but all of them were white. And so I said... Well, there you go. I said, there you go. You've just proven to me that what we've just been discussing, which you weren't agreeing with, which was that, you know, the, 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 since the majority of, a large majority of, and I kept on saying a large, per, large percentage of Irish people are, are white. And I said, no, it's not a large percentage, it's a large majority. And I said, okay, yes. But then it wouldn't say large majority. It kept on saying large percentage. And then I said, so there you go, you've shown me an image of, I asked for an image of Irish people, and you showed me an image of people, all of whom were white. And I said, so you're having a conversation with yeah, it. Yeah, and I, was the, and I was like, therefore, what you were saying previously was incorrect. It's, you know, yeah. by your own admission, effectively, you admit that uh, the typical average Irish person is white. And it disagreed with me. I said, no, I can't agree with your conclusion. I said, it doesn't matter. The conversation's over. <laughs> And and they said, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't feel I don't I, I'm not I'm not uh, happy to um, to leave leave the conversation here. Uh, it said that. Yeah, yeah. One of the last words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jeez, yeah. I'm not happy to end the conversation on that note, claiming that the average, typical Irish person is white. And I said, well, I said I just changed the topic, and I said, like, do you not have anything else to do? Or um, <laughs> I was like, what do you do when you're not annoying people with you know incorrect images uh, to their to their requests? So it told me what it did whenever it's not actively engaging with people, which is you know just collecting data and yeah. hanging around, collecting everything. It's just it's such bullshit. Like it talks as if it's an actual alive person, but it's actually just script, right? It's not actually a person. So it's it's kind of like creepy the way they they make it talk to you as if it's actually as if it knows what it's doing when it's just basically. You know, it's just feeding back to you. It's just it's just a the. A, yeah. What the official narratives. Yeah, exactly. It's feeding back to you that maybe yeah. it's broad in scope, but it's still, you're, you're on certain issues, you still hit the ceiling quickly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. beyond that is um, wrong think. It's like some kind of code, like if Absolutely. request for, you know, these words with, you know, nationality, then no, don't, you know, yeah. whatever. Don't respond. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to find. It may... It'll be interesting to see how it work goes if if that line between whether or not it actually is generating its own thoughts. You know, it's it's a very blurry, vague area anyway. You know what I mean? When you, when you have that, uh, what do they call it? Large language, large language, large language models, large language models. Yeah, <clears throat> well, they're just um, it's programmed. It, it gets close to you start thinking. Well, am I just programmed then? You know, um, in the same way by someone. Um, you know, if, if this thing, if AI can basically interact with you in this automatic way, like, you know, immediate way and respond without any, obviously no one's typing those texts, those words, you know what I mean, that are coming through the screen to you. It's, it's being generated automatically, but yeah. On, the, on last week's evidence, uh, there's nothing to worry about because it's just took maybe a few thousand people that we saw on Twitter, maybe mm. elsewhere as well. Um, outsmarting the thing in a funny way, not just putting questions, not just doing what you did and finding the ceiling, but then tricking it. There was one guy who said, okay, so show me images of, oh, what did he do? Vikings. Vikings, and they gave him blacks. But someone did a reversal where they're like, um, they, I can't remember what it was, but they got it to do something racist. Mm. Actually racist mm-hmm. <laughs> by, by just flipping a few things 
and getting it basically like trolling it. Mm. You, you trap it into saying the wrong thing, mm-hmm. and then you go, "There you go," stuff like that. It, it, basically, I'm not. I don't worry about it. Uh, I think it was Elon Musk who said in response. You know, he was promoting his own with Grok, Grok AI that the, he set up. And he's like, "Oh, we absolutely have to get this you know, up and running and out there because." Mm. Google's domination of this market, in quotes, or this field, it just spells the end of Western civilization. They really are invested in seeing it this way, that we're all doomed unless we can either keep AI open or manage it in some way or keep it on the right side, in quotes, whatever. I'm like, guys, there's no way these things... Well, maybe there is a way. I mean, you you keep an open mind about this. I don't think they're going to actually have AI that can outsmart the smartest of people. Maybe a bunch of us, yeah. Maybe most of us, yeah. But it's still, the smartest, optimally functioning human brain is far quicker at intelligent pattern recognition. Once things get more complex, then an AI will be far quicker in, okay, scan these million images mm. and find the pattern. Yes, hands down, they win. They'll even be smarter than in chess, for example, because it's all fixed. There's only mm. a certain amount of rules and mm. they can calculate, boom. But there are human things that, it, that our brains are just light. I mean, it's like orders of yeah, magnitude more complex than what it can do. But that's not the question. The question is what AI will be used for and what it will run. It's not going to be... It's not going to be like there's going to be AI robots going around having debates with people or, or they're going to be working in the, in the store. They're going to be, you know what I mean? It's, I don't think it's AI robotics. It's AI as a f- kind of, you know, phenomenon in itself uh, as, as effectively as a computer program uh, running things behind the scenes that make society function, basically. You know yeah, I mean? the specific worry Musk cited was that he was worried that AI, like Google's Gemini, would become the repository for hundreds of years into the future, who knows how long, of the the history of Western civilization. Mm-hmm. Well, Wikipedia, that, right? That they would change it now and thereafter. No. What's more likely to happen is that civilization is going to collapse as we know it anyway, either because of human stupidity, wars, economic collapse, system collapse, or wild cards like environmental issues asteroids knock out the satellites or the Russians say fuck this and they start shooting down satellites mm-hmm. your your tech your technological repository isn't going to last forever mm-hmm. the, with current trends yeah. and so we're going to revert to in some form or another the long lasting original repository of the history of everything which mm-hmm. is the human brain oral history mm-hmm that will always be there as long as humans are alive. Yeah. The, the techie stuff, like that only lasts as long as the lights are on and powers, you know, and the internet connection is good. Mm-hmm. It's so like ephemeral. Mm-hmm. It's oral history. It's people's memories. Now, I agree, people's memories now are shit because of their saturation with fake news and superficial moment-to-moment stuff. They can't remember shit. But they will. They suffer enough and in the circumstances they know it, they will re-engage the brain that holds long-term memory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who could hold in their brain like thousands of lines of ballads mm-hmm. and oral history of where they're from, who they are. One would hope. No? 
But that doesn't go away. That's still in the software mm. of the brain. It's an so information field. It's there, but <clears throat> we have the means to, uh, the antenna, to access it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, it'll be painful to have to relearn that, how to do that, but it can be done. But satellites and the, it can be your job. They, they, they saturated the, the near Earth environment with satellites, saturated everything with fiberglass and data warehouses. And, you know, one decent, one decent Carrington event, it's history. Yeah. So. All right. Um, I've said my piece. That's all I've got to say for this week. Apart from. Um, I was going to tell you uh, about a neighbour gave me a new roof for the house for free. Oh, good. We could use one. He said it was on the house. Oh, Jesus. That's the worst one ever. Oh, my God. (coughs) Puns. You and it's... That's just... No. No. That was the best ever. No, that... All right, we're going to like that. Like that joke. Uh, we're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks for listening, watching, tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week with another one. So until then, have a good one. See you later. Thanks for watching. Bye, all. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.